Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there, welcome back to the Winning Plays Podcast with Brian Robb and Michael Pina. I'm Rich Levine, that's right, Pina is back, but unfortunately Gordon Hayward is out. We'll discuss the short and long-term implications of Gordon's injury. We'll talk about the Celtics game one win over the 76ers. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, First, as always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Give us a follow on Twitter, that's at winningplayspod. Shout out to CLNS Media. Shout out to Bet Online, uh, Michael Pino. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, thank you. So happy to be here. You guys have done an <laughs> incredible job in my absence. I mean, oh, he just suck up. comes back just to watch the season turn, just crumble away. Uh, I have two quick questions for you, Pino, to, mm-hmm. to get us to get us reacclimated. Okay. Um, question one: Of all the pieces you've written for GQ in the last few weeks, you've been doing a lot of work over there. Which one are you most proud of? Um, well, I did this story about uh, group economics and trying to explain what that was because some guys in the league, three players are wearing group economics on the back of their jerseys as their social, social justice message. And when I first saw that as an option, I had no idea what it was or what it meant. So I talked to uh, one of the players, Anthony Tolliver and David West, who I found out was the reason for it because he was kind of the inspiration a a few years back um and that was cool and apparently it did well traffic wise which i don't (laughs) personally care about i guess but is oh i thought you were gonna say most most importantly exactly it did well traffic wise exactly yes not trying to spread the message of you know social justice but as long as people click that's all i really care about (laughs) okay you got your priorities in line well you're doing awesome over there very cool to see see that everyone check him out gq GQ.com? Is that, is that where to go? Sure. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So from, from, uh, from group economics to education reform, uh, question two, the level of impact, all right? Rank it from one through 10. How hard are the, are the Celtics going to feel this Gordon Hayward injury? So Gordon Hayward is out, what, four weeks with a, uh, a sprained right ankle? B-Rob, is that, the, is that the official statement? That's the official release from the team. And from doing research and talking to people in sports medicine, four weeks sounds optimistic um, for a grade three ankle sprain in general. Um, so hopefully maybe it's a less severe one. I don't know. Obviously the Celtics know plenty more to doctors than we do on that front. But uh, if you look at other grade three strains around the league, it's um, a lot of them have been out for more than four weeks. So Pina, what do you think? One through 10, how hard is this going to be felt? Um, I think in 
the first round against Philly, I'd put it at like a four. I'm not, I don't really think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. I think Boston's just a lot better and more Marcus Smart, more Grant Williams, more whoever. Um, they can survive that for sure. And, you know, might even be a little bit better off in the short term. I think beating a team like the Raptors without Gordon Hayward and not having him in one of those lineups that, you know, when Toronto wants to get super versatile, they can get super versatile. And Gordon Hayward is kind of key to unlocking that for Boston. So that's going to be real tough. (laughs) And I'm really interested to see who – who Brad Stevens kind of leans on out of the guys, you know, I just mentioned Marcus, I mentioned Grant Williams, like Romeo Langford is like, is he going to play Brad Wanamaker, B-Rob's boy? Like, uh, I don't know how they're going to kind of make up for what Gordon provides, particularly on the defensive end. So for that series, I'm like, that's a seven or an eight, maybe even higher, honestly. All right, B-Rob, answer Pina's question. How are the Celtics going to react? What's next? Who is going to, who do you think gets the first call? I mean, obviously Marcus is probably going to start. I would we, think uh, so. Agree on that? I think so. I want to take Pina to task for a second here though. It's for, they might be better off without Hayward in this series, this, this Philly series. How many points did Marcus Smart score the other night? Um, better off, probably a slight exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to walk I mean, that one back immediately. It's not a huge, I agree with you. It's like, it's not a huge loss, but like, I mean, yeah. Hayward is well, maybe. that's 35 <laughs> minutes locked in. Then you're going to get good yeah, defense no. and 15 points out of him. Hayward's terrific. He's been playing really well in the bubble. B-Rob, I know you wrote something about him um, recently. It's a blow for sure. <laughs> but I'm just kind of like, you watched what Jalen did last night. Um, you watched what Tatum did. It's just like more opportunities for those guys. Um, and then I'm also... More, more pressure as well. Yeah, those guys were born in the darkness. Come on, they're, they're ready to go. <laughs> sure, I know. I, I, I agree, but this is going to be the first time on this stage that there's going to be no choice. But like, if they don't come through, I mean, I guess you have Kemba, who's... What do we think about Kemba? He well, actually so looked... Was to... He was good no, in the fourth go quarter last night. Like, he... 11 points in the fourth quarter from a very slow start. But I agree with Rich. I mean, like, that's – I think that's your big X factor now. With with Hayward around, Kemba could kind of ease back into things during this series. But now Kemba has to dominate his matchup, especially if they're putting Shake Milton on him to start games and putting Richardson on Tatum or Brown. I feel, I feel pretty good about that, though. I had a thought last night that I think at the same time, Kemba looks pretty good, and he's also clearly the third best player on the Celtics. Like both both those things are true. I don't right. think he's the third best because he doesn't look like himself. I think you know pretty close to hundred percent. Kemba Walker is not as good as or not as important as Jalen and Jason. So funny enough, I I I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Rich. But I uh, a couple days ago, before long before Gordon got hurt, I pitched this story to Five Thirty Eight, um, wanting to write about. Kemba as like the narrative with the Celtics is kind of like they'll only go so far as Tatum and Jalen will take them. Mm. But I'm kind of like, I know more or less what I'm getting with Tatum and Jalen. Like, I think they're, I like think of the world of them. I think they're great. I think they'll score. I think they'll defend. I think they'll do all that. 
and play terrific basketball. Those are the guys that the Celtics are relying upon. But Kemba's kind of like that player who really increases your variance now, whereas he was supposed to be the stable rock where you knew what you were getting with Kemba. I don't think he's scored over 20 points since like shortly before the all-star break in a game. I think he had 19 last night. So his ability to go up and then there's like all these different numbers that I've been looking at with Kemba that have me optimistic that he can really step up. Um, I just, I'm fascinated by Kemba. I'm fascinated by uh, him against him, his ability to get points against the Raptors. I'm already moving past the Sixers. I'm sorry. I don't (laughs) respect them. Um, I respect it. Yeah. But like his ability to create offense by himself off the bounce um, against Toronto is going to be really fascinating. Um, And then, you know, if you are fortunate enough to get past Toronto, Kemba needs to have a big series with the pull-up threes against Milwaukee if you want to beat Milwaukee. Assuming Milwaukee beats the the vaunted Orlando Magic, (laughs) who, as we're recording this right now, are are giving them everything that they've got. So um, Kemba's, like, huge all of a sudden, even more so than I thought he was, like, a few days ago. And I thought he was huge a few days ago. I mean, he has to make pull-up threes against Philly now, I think, to to avoid a seven-game slugfest because – really. I think, I mean, I just looked oh. at that team. Sorry, but I, I, I just don't, I just don't feel like the Sixers are in the same league as the Celtics, even without Gordon. But you thought, you think that without Gordon, it's a potential seven game series? Yes. I think based off of, you know, you got pretty terrific games from Tatum and Brown last night, and you got nothing from your bench, which isn't a big deal when you have your starting five at full strength. But now if you're moving smart into the starting five and he's not hitting threes, then things can get dicey in a hurry. And I mean, maybe this is a decent time to talk about how Brad Stevens should handle the situation and maybe who's going to get, who deserves the most opportunity now, knowing that, um, you know, smart replaces him in the starting five, but he's already playing 32 minutes a game. So Hayward's 35 minutes have to go elsewhere. Um, I think you're looking at three guys or maybe even four guys, uh, Wanamaker, Langford, Grant Williams, and Shemi Ojale, who had a DNP uh, in game Ooh. one. Um, Shemi is, doesn't do that for me. Yeah. Um, no. What do you think there? I think I, I'm, I'm starting to think now just as we're talking and kind of brainstorming, like, is it possible that Marcus Smart is not the automatic guy who goes into the starting lineup? Sure. And if, very- that, if, that is the, if that is the case, like, if they were playing the Bucks. I'd be like, yeah, they're going to play Shemi. That would make a lot of sense. Right. Um, I think they're going to – I think – I don't think they're going to start Grant Williams. I think Grant Williams going forward is just, like, humongous for them in this. And he does a lot of different things from Gordon Hayward, obviously. He's not going to be, like, running your offense. But he's just still – he's, like, super smart, can knock down the spot up threes. He's got such a great nose for the ball. That play last night where he dove on the ground and created a second opportunity. Um, I just think Grant Williams is like a really great rookie. <laughs> and so you think he potentially gets to start? It wouldn't totally stun me if he was in the starting lineup for game two. I'll just say that. Would make, like, yeah, like I think that makes sense too because you kind of – when you have Walker, Jalen, and Tatum on the floor together – it makes sense to hide someone in there offensively. Um, again, this is Tice 
it, it does m- make things dangerous with Tice, the way they're sagging off him already. It, Tice has to hit some threes for this to work, but um, throwing in smart with that group uh, clearly helps you, helps you from a ball handling standpoint and potentially a three-point shooting standpoint, but it also leaves your bench rotation like totally exposed um, to a degree. And that is a dangerous proposition in case of foul trouble or anything else. So, um, and Grant Williams can guard Horford. He can, you know, hold his own against and switches against uh, some wings that we saw that in his couple minutes too in game one. So I don't, I don't hate the idea. Smart is the safe choice, but if Stevens wants to get creative, I think Grant Williams might be the logical choice if he mixes it up. So I, I really enjoyed watching Jalen Gardell. Oh, I hate to lose that if they if they start Grant. Just just seeing, I say that was that's just that's Jalen totally locked in, knowing he's knowing he's guarding a bigger guy. Certainly having some familiarity with Al from the last few years, but I thought he was great uh, in the early going against Al. I agree. I'm so I'm so glad you brought up Al Horford. Um, <laughs> Worst contract in the league now, Mike. The, the screamer. <laughs> the screamer. Whoa, what, what, screaming what? Al. What what was that? I was to- I was stunned watching that on television. I was first of all, why did he not get a technical foul for that? Like if that was a game at TD Garden, he gets a technical foul, right? I think it's because it's Al Horford and they the refs felt bad. I don't know. It's like they were just shocked. They didn't know. They didn't know how to react. Sh- yeah, they should have been shocked. Was that, I don't, is that the most emotion he's like ever shown in his whole career? <laughs> Peanut, Peanut, when you get six, six, and six in a playoff game, you can understand. <laughs> Not being able to control your emotions. I saw his. I saw the box score afterwards because I wasn't keeping track of it when I was watching the game, and I assumed that Al Horford had like twenty and twelve. And that like, was his. It was literally his sixth point. I was like, oh man! And I didn't know if maybe. I was, I was gonna say real quick. I didn't know if maybe Tatum because it looked like he was screaming in the direction of Tatum. Yeah. I don't know if maybe one of J- uh, one of uh, Jason's earlier point baskets. If maybe he had yelled a little bit or grunted at Al, potentially. It seemed re- retaliatory to me. Yeah, I'm sure there was some fun, na- good-natured trash talk going on with those those guys since they are, I think they still have good relationships. But, um, I mean, that was the one, I think that was in the middle of a, like, 9-0 or 11-0 Sixers run the one time where the Seas got a little uneasy and then um, they turned around. But, I mean, Jalen's play on offense against Horford, I wouldn't be surprised um, if Tybal um Tybal comes in for Hor- starts for Horford and oh. they just play him off the bench as a center uh because he can't handle um Jalen and then I guess that's the case where you don't put Grant Williams in because that's somewhere for Horford to hide defensively whereas if you put Smart in there Smart can at least beat Horford off the dribble and you know give the Sixers defense some trouble that way yeah we haven't by the way we haven't talked about what Tatum did um, you know, Jalen kind of finished it, but for that stretch, and I think that was maybe part of the struggles in the third quarter is that after Tatum went out, everyone had been kind of hypnotized by what he had been doing for the previous, you know, 10 minutes or so. But, uh, and because you mentioned, B Rob, that you know, Jalen and, and Tatum both had terrific games, but is that the new Jason Tatum? Like, when you say terrific, is that just going to be the expectation every time it goes out? And then maybe he's not going to be as dominant as he was for, the, for, that, for that stretch of time, but that was pretty special. Yeah, I mean, I think in this series, Mike, like this is they're kind of kind of need that from him now, right? Like, who's going to stop him from getting that? I personally expect him to do those things. Like, 
when the game was on the line and the Celtics needed a bucket at the end, he just put his head down and got to the free throw line. Like that's what superstars do. It's like very simple. It's what separates them from like merely very good players. Like he is a straight up offensive superstar already. And I, so like, I, I'm not like super caught off guard or spellbound when he has performances like that. Um, and then his ability to transfer it to the defensive end, that play where he slapped, I forget who shot off the glass that started a fast break the other way. Richardson. Yeah. Like you saw that coming a mile away when you were watching the game live, like you knew he was going to slap it off the glass. Like that's just, <laughs> he's man, he is, he's a really special player. Um, I have like this really random comment that I wanted to bring up earlier and I can't find a place to put it. So I'm just going to um, verbal masturbate it right now. <laughs> um, but title, that's the title right there. Did you guys get like, how weird was it to see the contrast between the Celtics coaching staffs, um, green polos and the Sixers uh, like tucked in green polos makes a lot of sense. And then the Sixers coaching staff, Brett Brown, they have like the untucked like button downs that were those Tommy Bahama? I don't it's like they, they weren't even like the right size. Like Brett Brown's didn't look like it was the right size. It was I, I think that they were all untucked. Like I think it was that company. My wife was like, is that the company untucked? Are they actually wearing their shirts? Like, <laughs> oh, untu- untucked it it. sponsorship deal. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I hope I hope you're writing about this. By the way, I mean this is Mike's GQ coming to the forefront right now. Like I didn't even notice this. This is I had to, this. This was bothering me. I was like, Brett Brown needs to. He looks. I love. I love Brett Brown. He looked terrible. Like the whole staff just <laughs> horrendous. Oh, it was embarrassing. So um, you need to write it, about that seriously. You look that, that will go more viral than 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 group economics. <laughs> You look particularly disheveled when you're like screaming at your team because they suck and they've just committed their 11th turnover in the last five minutes when your shirt is untucked and your shirt does not fit. I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, like Brad Stevens looked great. Um, Who do you think makes the call on those? Like where the coach, the coaches talk before the games being like, okay, we're going to go, what color polo are we going to like the time Bahama or not? Like, who do you think makes those calls, Mike? I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I know Zach Lowe wrote a whole story about the suit versus like comfy look for coaches. Right. But that's um, old news now. This is now we're looking, we know we got to get inside the, the wardrobe options in the bubble. Uh, guys, not to break up the wardrobe talk, but sports keep coming back in case you've noticed. Uh, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball has finally started this summer and they're in full swing and there's no shortage of ways to get on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And as sports start to return, BetOnline has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Ori, seven-time NBA champ, and Harold Reynolds from Major League Baseball to get their opinion on what it will be like playing without fans. They're calling it the fandemic. So visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, one thing real quick about Tatum, guys, that kind of has surprised me, not necessarily that he's dominating, but he seems to really be enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's been another level of confidence and swagger and shit talking. I mean, it helped that he was, that he was mic'd up, but he seems, and maybe this is part of not having fans too, he seems a lot more comfortable with utterly embarrassing the competition than maybe he did as early as February. I think he feels and he sh- maybe should 
that he's like the best player on the court, regardless of, of who else is out there. And that kind of that confidence reflects itself in his behavior, as you're saying, Rich, like, it is hard to parse like the difference between um, the difference between just like him being mic'd up and us getting that that special those looks live looks at, at at things that he's saying and in relation to other players him being uh louder and all that but i was also i did this interview with robert covington and he i asked him what the weirdest thing about the bubble was and he was like it's truly strange not playing with fans and not having the energy and the adrenaline that they provide. And he thinks that teams that actually are loud and they've like talked about this, the Rockets, like the louder you are, like the better you will be and you will perform. I don't know what that's about, but um, I thought that was really interesting. And maybe the Celtics have talked about something similar where it's like, we want you to really express yourselves more than you otherwise would because your teammates need an energy source to feed off of. Yeah, I mean, that was the big thing that Brad Team was talking about in their first scrimmage against Oklahoma City against Chris Paul when Paul was just dominating the game with his voice. And like you said, Mike, it seems like a, a little thing, but when there's no one around to get that extra adrenaline rush or push or whatever, it's going to have to come from the bench or it's going to have to come from your teammates on the floor. And Tatum might be just buying into that himself more here. Um, I personally just think he's excited that he doesn't have to deal with Ben Simmons and uh, <laughs> can literally do whatever he wants against his team, um, whether it's Josh Richards. I mean, Tybal is a, a good matchup, but it, that's more – he's great just contesting the shots off the screens that. and stuff. If that was, like, actually the matchup, he would go to the post. Right. He would destroy him. You can yeah. beat him. He can beat him one-on-one. It's more like around screens, Tybal can be more of a, a menace, but – yeah, it's uh, there's not a lot of guys to be scared of on the Sixers defense on the on the wing. That's for sure. I'm glad Tybal got that block on the three point attempt out of his system or on the jump shot. I like, I like that he she showed it to Tatum early enough now that he can yeah. <laughs> uh, adjust because that that I mean that was a really impressive play. Real quick, uh, so I'm seeing right now that the Magic are up 12 on Milwaukee with five minutes left. Uh, P and I was talking to B. Robert about this, about this before he came on, but we talked the whole season about wanting to avoid a second round matchup with Milwaukee. Is there any chance that maybe Toronto is the team that you wanted to avoid in the second round? There is a chance. Yes. Um, Toronto's defense is ridiculous. Like they come to play every night with a different scheme that they're able to execute. They go like 12 deep. Uh, Their offense has been like pretty up and down, but I mean, I'm personally not worried about it and I don't think they are either. Like they have shooters, they have guys who can go off the bounce. They have a lot of different weapons. Um, Siakam hasn't even like looked special at all uh, in the bubble. And he will in all likelihood show up in meaningful moments. So, I mean, Toronto's super scary. Fred Van Fleet just looks like he's going to get a max contract, I guess. Uh, I don't – they're tough. Um, oh, yeah, Fred. You look at Milwaukee, like I'm not going to totally overreact to one potential loss against <laughs> – Right, they might didn't even lose yet. <laughs> didn't Orlando yeah. beat the Raptors in game one last yeah. year? Yeah, game so one. this is yeah. – Orlando loves to take the game ones. They also had Jonathan Isaac in that game, I will say. And I haven't been closely watching this game, but I think uh, Markel Fultz has been drilling threes is what I saw in my Twitter timeline. So don't quote me on that, but I don't know if that's sustainable. Uh, one, one three, but he is having a game. 
Okay, one three. <laughs> um, oh, that for from Markel, that's kind of that's good. Yeah, that's a big sure, shot. Yeah. That's a faucet. Um, but no, I think that you know, on one hand, you'd have to go up against Giannis, who is still just an absolutely ridiculous basketball player. Chris Middleton just torches the Celtics every single time they play each other. Um, I don't know. Both teams are really good, and it's kind of is what it is. You're like gonna play the Raptors, so might as well get ready for that matchup, I guess. And you're gonna play them both eventually if you're gonna do anything with the season. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Miami Heat over Milwaukee Bucks round two. Let's go. Yeah, maybe that's the call. Yeah, the Bucks haven't looked right in our in Orlando yet. Kind of like the Lakers. We'll see whether that matters or not pretty quickly in these playoffs, but. Uh... Clearly, game one is a concern here for the Bucs uh, as uh, they fall further behind in the fourth quarter. Um, B-Rob, what's the latest on Romeo Langford, just, just wrist-wise? Yeah, so know? let's – yeah, we should talk about him. I want to talk about just the random – do a little grab bag on the bench here to, to close things off to get your guys' takes on him. But, yeah, he's – so he's got torn wrist ligaments, I believe, in his shooting hand. Um, but he's going to play through it. He's going to need surgery on it eventually. But for now, uh, according to Brad Stevens, it's a, just a strictly a pain tolerance issue. So uh, they're going to, he's going to play through it. And now he's certainly going to do that. Uh, he's going to get a chance to play through it with, with Hayward out of the picture. I would imagine, Mike, shooting probably pretty tough with torn wrist ligaments. Um, as someone who's broken their wrist a couple times, um, I admire him greatly for even trying to play through this in the first place. But I do think his defense is good enough where he's worth having around. Um, even if he's a, a non-factor offensively. What was his injury at Indiana? Wasn't it a wrist or was it a yeah, thumb? It was or... thumb? Thumb ligaments. He played through it the season of uh, torn thumb ligaments, I believe at Indiana. Do you know if that was in his shooting hand or his non-shooting hand? I think that was a shooting hand too. Let me look it up. I know I'm just throwing like trivia at you right now. <laughs> Obscure Romeo Langford trivia. Yeah. Um, He's got to go like George Costanza, start protecting yeah, so his was, hands a little bit, huh? It was his right thumb, I believe, too. Yeah. Um, Romeo, I mean, whenever I watch him, like his impact is way more about like not shooting the basketball. Obviously, <laughs> if you're on the floor in a playoff series, you have to be able to like threaten the defense at the very least as a spacer. Um, But I feel like he has this good instinctual game where he can cut and he can rebound, particularly the offensive glass. And he's like, you know, he's energy, uh, high energy. And I don't like my expectations for what he could contribute in a series against like the Raptors is pretty minimal, but um I don't know. Like, you know, I, I don't see him like hitting five threes in a playoff game. I do see him potentially, uh, you know, taking a charge here and there and, and just using his energy. But like, what is that really? Does that matter? <laughs> Existential. I like it. <laughs> Went from tri- trivia to, to ex- existentiality. That's nice. What, what do you guys um, think of Time Lord now in the series going forward after uh, I don't know, a rocky game one performance, we'll say, mm. to put it nicely. I think we talked a lot about how much the game slowed down for him in those eight games. And against Philly, it was like he was back on the, the super fast treadmill. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the calm, 
the composure, I think. And I, listen, I understand you're going up against Joel Embiid in a game where, and, and well, was, was Embiid still out there when, when Williams made his first appearance? I think he was, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he had chances against both, but... Um, and it was a tire Joel Embiid, but I could, I could understand why things were going a little bit faster for him. And I think it showed. I'm, I'm ready to throw, roll him back out there in game two, though. Like, I'm, I'm confident that he can still contribute. I think... I was kind of noticing, and maybe I'm wrong because I haven't looked it up, but, like, I'm pretty sure his second stint and every... I don't know how many stints he actually had, but that intentionally they were trying to make it so he wouldn't be on the floor at the same time as Embiid. Um, and they were kind of just balancing it with Tice and with Cantor um, in Which those cool with. minutes. Yeah. But uh, Rob Williams, like I haven't had an opportunity to gush on him about him on this pod. So yeah, like, he missed out. I know he's uh, might be, you know, how many like defensive player of the year awards are we thinking here? Like, <laughs> Two minimum is that? I, th- I think you tweeted this peanut about him being one of the scariest closers or a closeout guy. It's terrifying. His, his ability. I mean, he. Yeah, they used to talk about how Jordan could like start from under the hoop and block a three pointer. Uh, maybe that's a hyperbole, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Time Lord might be able to do that. Arms, jumping ability, instincts, quickness. He's like at the elbow, and his man is like behind the three point line on the wing catches the ball and time Lord jumps at the elbow. And it's just like, it's like a contest. It's, it's like truly, (laughs) there's no one else in the league who does that. I'm not even kidding. Like I can't think of anybody else. Like he's like a guard version of like uh, DeJounte Murray or something like that, where he, he just like appears in your face, but he's so much bigger and his arms are just like, they're wild. So in a few years, I think he's going to be like a ser- Like I think he's the future starting center of the team. And like his instincts have really impressed me also in the bubble. And he just like looks like a basketball player, which I really wasn't expecting. Um, but yeah, like Time Lord, man, he just makes you take a deep breath when you're watching him play. <laughs> what do you think, B-Rob? Is, or, or did he lose any confidence from Brad Stevens in, his, in game one? I think you have to think about it to a degree with Grant Williams getting the chance in the fourth quarter in a spot where he matched up against Al Horford to Mike's point in terms of, you know, Cantor matching up against Embiid. Um, Hayward being out does change that dynamic since you could theoretically go with some, you know, Williams, Williams front lines for a spot here and there when Embiid's off the court, if you're trying to uh, spread the rest around. Um yeah, he just he deserves he's played well enough for Orlando where he deserves another shot here because that's was I think his first real playoff minutes in that game. Um, so, but I think he's on thin ice now uh, in terms of the the present, the future. I agree with you guys totally. If he's the the center of the future, but for now, the trust might be uh, t- tested a little bit. So, man, when 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 Embiid starts sucking wind like he like he did, I mean, what was it late first quarter, <laughs> at least the second quarter? I think Williams is the last guy that he wants to see. Yeah, because he really abused him for a little bit in that in that first stretch, and yeah, he missed the, some easy shots too, like everyone on the Celtics did. But I think on most nights, like he'll be, he'll be able to uh, put up a few more baskets as well. Yeah, I think yeah. the the bunnies there they missed early. He, I mean, he he missed a dunk. He missed a couple. That's the thing. He has to be able. He has to take his time when he shoots, Mike, and that's what he did really well in the seeding games. I think he shot like what like eighty five, ninety percent. Um, but 
now he was on fast forward again in these games and that's not going to, not going to go well. Yeah. Sure. It reminded me of the, um, the, the New York Knicks put out an Instagram post of Mitchell Robinson uh, and his field goal percentage uh, right next to Wilt Chamberlain and his <laughs> record field goal percentage. And they were shaking hands. Um, oh God. Oh, my just God. a really great, <laughs> Instagram. It's like why Instagram was invented for stuff like that. Well, that should be illegal. <laughs> so when you were talking about like his high, that's what it made me think of. But no, I I, I think uh, yeah, I agree with you. He needs to slow things down mentally. Um, what was that basically like his first playoff game, kind of? And he's in the bubble, and it's just all weird. And you're going up against a marquee center. And, and everyone's been hyping him nonstop for the last week, pretty much. He seems like the type of person who's been paying attention to that, which I, to be fair, I would too. I would be reading all the tweets. I would be searching my name on Twitter when I woke up in the morning before I went to bed. Um, so shout out to him for that. Um, this, this is where the bubble really hurts because now would be the perfect time as a single NBA player to, to be blowing up. Torturous. Yeah. yeah. It's, a tr- it's a true... Uh, damned if you do damned if you don't situation yeah uh all right should we should we close this out with some predictions for the rest of the series yeah i want i want to hear the percent chance of you guys thinking the Celtics could lose this series right now okay you you can say the crazy thing first are you gonna say 100 no wait wait the chance of them losing yeah the chance of them losing oh oh, them losing 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 yeah oh so zero do you think it's zero mike i think it's 15. Okay. 15. I'll say 10. I'll say 10. And again, we, we don't know. Like, uh, knock on wood, I mean, like Jalen and Tatum could both oh, get no. injured. We, we don't know. <laughs> but uh, uh, assuming it's not a, 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 any horrible injury and stuff, I'm going to say like 10%. I, I just don't think – I don't think Embiid's long for the series. I and I, I said this earlier too to, to be real. I, I think that that's the best Embiid you're getting. I don't think he has it in him to give much more. I mean, he was out of breath by the second quarter. I just don't think physically he can dominate as consistently as he needs to. I agree. And I just can't believe after four years in Philly, they don't have a point guard that can get him the ball. Um, it's just. Uh, like, they would argue he, and tell you that they do have one and that his back hurts or whatever. Oh but my God. Knee injury that, and whatever. A point guard that can shoot that can get him the ball. Fair. Uh, which is. Seems to be pretty prevalent across the NBA right now, but for some reason. I mean, reason. even freaking uh, Trey Burke was like tearing right. it up in Dallas. He was in Philly last year. Like, why would you let someone like that go? Just like a simple pick and roll point guard who can shoot threes and run some kind of pick and roll with Joel Embiid. Because late in the game, you can't – like entering the, him the ball in the post late in the game is just really difficult. Right. That guy's fronting him. You've got guys like helping from the weak side. You he's the focal point. So the Celtics are daring and hoping that someone else on the team will shoot. That's probably going to be like Alec Burks, who was taking all sorts of crazy shots last night. He had himself a great game. Whatever. That's never going to happen again. Um, (laughs) Uh, Rich, remember I brought him up. You did. Uh, Alec Burks, watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was his 15 minutes right there. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm sounding really mean. I don't mean to. <laughs> no, but, but, the, but the fact that that was the Alec Burst game, right? That's, the, that's what they need to, to, to win this series is performances from guys like that. And they got it and still 
I think again, it was close, but I think they still kind of got their asses kicked. I felt like the Celtics were were toying with the with the Sixers a little bit. Um, so you wasted the that that game from him. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think you're getting another one. Um, and I, again, I said I said Sixers, I said Celtics in five at the beginning, and I'm leaning a little bit more towards towards a sweep now. But I'll still I'll, I'll stick I'll six, <laughs> stick with Celtics in five. I'm sticking with Celtics in six. Mike, what do you, what's your what's your tally? I'm still Celtics in five, um, which is what I had before the series started. I the, A sweep would kind of be wild, but what's really interesting about all this is, like, there's no opportunity for momentum. If the Celtics win game two, what is Philly doing? Like, are they competing in game three? Like, what is their mentality? So, um, a sweep, Even a mentally tough team, you'd worry about that. And a team also, real quick, like, you talk to, like, players in the bubble. Some of them are just, like, you know, like, teams, players that on teams that know that they can't win the championship are just, like, I really want to see my family. Like, I really don't want to be in the bubble right now. Like, this is a weird, isolating experience. So there's that factor as well for a team like the Sixers. If they were to go down 2-0, you don't know how they would react. And by the way, that's going to be such an advantage for the Celtics moving forward is that it seems that they are enjoying being there together and they really believe in their ability to win this title. And like they, they have a collective mission uh, and that's going to go a long way as we move forward. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, all right. So we'll put a bow on that. I'm sorry. We're going to have to spend the next episode guys talking a lot more about Brad Wanamaker because we really didn't get anything in here on him and he's going to be featuring prominently in these next few games. Um, but We'll be back to see how these C's look like uh, without Hayward in the fold, what adjustments they make, um, and whether they, the C's can put this Philly team away early. So we'll be back with that later this week. Uh, in the meantime, uh, hit us up at Winning Plays Pod on Twitter, at Michael V. Pina, at Rich underscore Levine, at Brian T. Robb. Check Mike's stuff out on GQ. He's been killing it over there as well. Um, and I'll be at Boston Sports Journal per usual. And I think that's it, guys.